0: Well, I want to welcome you to week three of our study called, Think Small. Think Small. And so if this is your first time here, you you might be under the impression, you know, that's not so motivational, right? It might sound a little bit weak, maybe a little bit pessimistic, maybe a little bit depressing, but... But honestly, that's not the case at all, because what this study is about, it's the reminder that extraordinary outcomes are usually the result of small things done on a consistent daily basis. And so in this series, when we, when we think small, we use the image of the ant. It's about ant power. Small things repeated. We saw it in the Bible, the way the ants back and forth and back and forth, a seed at a time. They are building the security of the colony. But it is to show up again and again, and for us, not just to show up physically, but to bring our heart. Because influence and impact is rarely about one big push, Influence and impact is rarely about overnight success. It's through ant power, small things repeated. Now, one of the challenges that I face every single week that I get up here and talk to you, especially when it's about things like serving or leading or impacting lives, One of the challenges for me is that as a crowd, you are in vastly different places. What I mean by that is some of you are chronically over-committed versus some other people on your row who are chronically under-challenged. You like the way I put a positive spin on that? That's as positive as I can figure out how to put that. Under-challenged, all right? Over-committed versus under-challenged. The, the over-committed just have this desire to do everything better. You know who you are. It's like I, I, I want to do everything that I do better. And yet, you are the ones who find yourself in a season of life sometimes when you are doing a lot, but you still feel like you're not doing enough. Sometimes that's because we are approval junkies. We value achievement. It is where we find our value. When other people see us achieve, when, when, when the world pushes us, our response, the overcommitted is, I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll just take on this next thing. I'll just take on this next thing. It's, it's how we respond to the pressure. Versus the under-challenged. And I'm saying, I get it. Sometimes this is a response to past failure. Sometimes this is a response to past criticism. And the memory of the pain just kind of leads you to shut down. Your response to the pressure is not, I'll show you. Your response to the pressure is, I'm just not going to do that stuff anymore. I'm saying both of us need guidance. And today, I think we're going to find some really good guidance as we follow Jesus around for a few days of ministry as it is recorded in the Scripture. In just a minute, we're going to be in Mark. So if you've got your Bible and you want to go to Mark, go ahead and start finding it. But I want to show you where we are geographically. here here's a, a map of the, the area of, of Israel in the, the northern section of Israel. Um, we are up around the Sea of Galilee, okay, which that, that territory of Galilee. It's in the it's in the northern part. You see Capernaum in red. That's the town. Where our story is going to start today. Now, this is this is in the ter- territory around where Jesus was raised. He was raised around around Nazareth. This this area in the north kind of becomes a base of operation for him. He will come here, and then he will go elsewhere, and then he will he will come back. We, we see this throughout Jesus' ministry. Today, he's going to start in in this city of Capernaum in the synagogue which we would think kind of like the church. This is where people, they would come to worship. Something happens there that kicks off a series of events that I think will help us with our struggle today. For, for those of us who, 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 when we're doing a ton of stuff, and yet we still don't feel like we're doing enough, I want you to consider the possibility that that voice telling you you're not doing enough might not be God. That might not be God. You say, okay, but Jeff, I would feel better about all that if I could just give a confident yes to the things that I should be doing, and if I could give like a freeing no to the things that I shouldn't be doing. But how do I know what those are and how do I get to that place? Well, I think we can learn some stuff today. Jesus is the teacher. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. Here's how the story begins. They went to Capernaum. That's they, Jesus, and a few disciples. He's got a few. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came... We talked about that last week. This is the day they rest. Nobody, they don't pick up the sickle on this day and and work the fields. This is the day to rest. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. That was common in that day. The rabbi, the teacher, they they would go into the synagogue. They would often sit there and they would teach the people. In this season of Jesus' ministry, which is right at the beginning, Mark chapter 1 could kind of give you a clue, this is right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus has a message that is repeated. It's repeated over and over as he's collecting a few of those first disciples, he's going from town to town, and there is a message that he repeats. This is the message, repent for the kingdom of God. Of God is near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. You say, the kingdom of God, Jeff. I've always heard maybe that statement, but I don't know what that means. What is the kingdom of God? Think of it this way. This is life when God is king. This is is what life is like when God is the king. Like Forgiveness is granted. In the kingdom of God, when, when God is king, forgiveness is granted. It's not only granted to you by him, right, by his grace, but it's also granted from you by that same grace that is working in your life. When God is king of your life, forgiveness will be received and forgiveness will be given. That makes sense? That's what the kingdom of God looks like. In the, when God is king, the neglected are loved. When God is king, religion is not some show. It is a heart relationship with God. When God is king, dark powers don't stand a chance. When God is king, disease and death, they are evicted. And what Jesus says repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It's near because the very king is here. He's the one saying the words. The king is in the room. And so the word is repent. Repent means a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. In other words, think about things differently that leads you to act differently. That's his message. That's his message over and over. Verse 22, back in Mark chapter 1. The people were, what's the word? Amazed. What are they amazed at? His what? teaching. So they're, they're hearing him teach things like, and they are amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. They're amazed. They hear Jesus teach and they're like, he's not like anybody else we've ever heard. But I also think there were some things they could not comprehend. At this point, they don't comprehend that. What he's teaching, the kingdom of God, in order for that to be brought about, it would require Jesus' life. They don't get that yet. He knows, but they don't know. They don't comprehend at the moment that it is both both here and to come. Here's Jesus right here with them. He's working right now. But there is also this aspect of waiting for the kingdom of God that will be brought to completion where all things that are broken will be made right. It is hard for them to comprehend those things. But here he is, the king of the kingdom, seated in the synagogue, teaching when suddenly a guy starts yelling at him. Now, the guy's not just crazy. When you look at this guy, there's something haunting. The Bible tells us it was a spiritual darkness that was connected to this guy, it was demonic. And so suddenly, as Jesus is teaching, this guy starts yelling at Jesus, what do you want with us, Jesus? You, the Holy One of God, are you here to destroy us? Which, just a side note, by the way, even the demons know clearly who he is. They know. At which point, Jesus commands the demon to be silent and cast him out. At which point, we're told the man shakes violently and shrieks. He screams. Okay. That didn't happen last week here at church. I I don't think it happened the week before that. This, This doesn't happen every time we come together. Does he have power over Darkness, too. So, if we skip to verse 28, 22 told us they were amazed. Look at what 27 and 28 tell us the people were also what? Amazed. Amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. They're amazed at the messenger. They are amazed at the miracle. At some point, Jesus leaves the synagogue. Those few disciples with him they they travel down the road. At this point, there's only about James and John who are with him, Andrew and Peter, who is also referred to as Simon. So when you read this story in Mark, Simon is the name that's used. So we're, we're talking about Peter, though. They go to his house where his mother in law is sick. Verse 31. So he, Jesus, went to her. That's the mother in law took her hand and helped her up the fever left her and she began to wait on them now i think we have this tendency to go oh she had a little fever right we we kind of go oh she had a little fever she just take a little take a little medication right and the fever will go you understand this is a different day for the one thing, we, I, I don't think this is just simply a fever. This this represents a sickness where your body is is trying to fight all that. In that day, sometimes a fever leads to death because you're there. You don't you just die sometimes. And Jesus walks into this house. Here's this woman who is bedridden. We know she has a fever. He takes her by the hand, lifts her out of that bed, and the next thing you know, she's looking at you saying. Anybody want some lunch? Anybody want some lunch? He has authority as a teacher. He has authority over dark forces. He has authority over sickness. And the word of all that starts to spread to the point that now there is a parade of people who are headed toward Jesus. I mean, if you heard all that and you got something wrong, which direction are you going to go? Everybody's moving toward Jesus. Verse 32. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all, the sick and demon-possessed. And we go, well, I mean, they don't really mean all. Well, 33. 33. The whole town, just in case you didn't get what all means, the whole town gathered at the door. Whole town. Now, even if it's a small town, that's a lot of people at the door. Let's keep going. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, I think we have a way, those of you who have been around the Bible a long time and we read these stories about, about Jesus and many people and all the sick coming, but you, you gotta put this in some context of that. there's some daddy standing in line Pray and don't let the line in, don't let the line in, don't let the line in because my daughter is dying. There's some mom praying, don't, don't, no, I, I will, I will, I am getting to the door wherever Jesus is because my, my son, he cannot see. But, but if, if Jesus, if you would do something here, I, I know that, that he would be able to see. There are friends who are in line for friends. Uh, 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 they've been wounded in some way. I, my friend cannot walk anymore. Jesus, if you would just say the word, imagine this line of people. This is not just some sterile line, right? your turn. These are people who bring the heart. They they bring the emotion of people that they love, who are hurting, who are wounded, who are dying, and they're trying to get to Jesus. It says, the sick and all the demon-possessed. We see at this time in Jesus' ministry this combination of him as a teacher and healer. I mean, we see him doing both of those things. He's teaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. But with that, backing up that teaching, if you will, are these miracles. In other words, when God is king, this is what it looks like. The demons must run. So the demon is cast out of the man who yells at him that day. Right? When, when God is king, sickness is evicted. And so Peter's mother-in-law is, is healed of, of whatever that was that she had that day. You have this picture where the miracles are the exhibits of what Jesus is saying when God is king. Now, I'm, I'm saying that was one day. That's one, it's really one afternoon in Jesus' ministry. That's a good day. That's a good day. And you're saying, okay, how does that help us? Well, just hold on a minute. We're going to get there, all right? At some point in the night, all of that ends. And the next morning, the disciples awake to see the cot where Jesus is sleeping is empty as in Jesus is not there, and they don't know where he went. Now, in the meantime, a crowd is forming. Why is a crowd forming? Because the whole town showed up yesterday, and Jesus showed them what the kingdom of God looks like when when God is king. And so now they're bringing more people. A crowd is forming, but the star attraction is nowhere to be found. He's not in the house. He's not in the courtyard. He's not out back in the street. Where did Jesus go? Here's where he went, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark. Some, some of y'all didn't know it was dark very early in the morning, but it is, right? Very early in the morning, is dark. And Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he did what? He did what? Prayed. Away from it all, away from the noise, away from the demands alone with the Father, when, especially when life gets crazy, when life is racing, isn't it true that this often becomes most difficult, but at the same time, it is most important? most essential, away from the noise, away from the the demands for brief moments, time with the Father. Now, we're not given in this particular story what the content of Jesus' prayer is, but what we know from multiple places throughout the Bible, he values this time with his Father. And so now, as Jesus followers, we follow. We follow that pattern, that, that discipline of, of a time where we, alone with God, I mean, come on, if, if this is what Jesus needed to do, I mean, it really does go without saying what, what, what we need in terms of trying to figure out what, what we're supposed to do and, and, and what we're not supposed to do. We, we follow Jesus' pattern. Right, right now, we are uh, about, well, we're not quite a week into uh, 40 days of prayer. And a, as a church, we are together in this sense of every day sending out a, a text for us to read from Scripture and, and a prayer. Uh, something for us to pray about. Now, your prayer is not restricted to that. That's just one of the things that you're going to pray about in that that time frame. But together, we're we're, we're praying through that. Why do we do that? This is why. This is why. To to value a time with our Heavenly Father where all the other noise and all the other demands are pushed away, we got to have it. We have to have it. And so I want to give you today, for those of you who are like, okay, I keep hearing people say, we need a, like a time alone with God. What in the world does that look like, Jeff? How do you, I mean, I get, okay, we can read some scripture and, and, and I can say a few, you know, some, so I can pray about what, what the, the things are on the list, but, but what does that look like? And so today I want to give you um, just an idea of a few of those things that could happen during that time frame, all right? And I'm going to give you three words that are connected to three questions to help you walk through it, I would encourage you to involve writing this down. Not just this down, but when you do it, write it down. All right? Because there's something powerful about writing that helps you to retain it. It helps you to hold on to it. It helps you to refer back to it. That Just some effort in that goes a long way in helping you process it. For example, the first word is the word Filling. Filling. And the question attached to filling is, how is my heart? So I'm reading a text, and and I'm beginning to think through prayer, and I'm writing some of this stuff down, and the first question is, how is my heart? You answer the question, how is your heart? And so on some mornings, my answer would be, my my heart is calm today. And I actually sense a, a joy and a peace, My heart is calm today. I'm I'm calm. But there are other days that that would not be my response at all. My response might be today, my heart is restless. It's restless because I feel like I'm behind, because I know the things that I feel like need to happen, and they're not happening at the pace at which I want them to happen. And so I feel restless because I am behind. I'll write it down. Or maybe I feel angry. Sometimes you know why you feel angry. Aren't there other days that you're like, I'm not even sure why I'm angry, but I'm just angry today. You feel like hanging a sign around your neck, right, to everybody who's going to encounter you? Just angry. Just angry today. I don't even know why. Just angry. Or, or or maybe it's fearful. Maybe it's fearful. Maybe it's hey, I have to have a conversation. It needs to happen. And there's just a lot in me that's telling me this conversation isn't going to go well. And so I'm fearful of that. My heart is fearful of that. Write those things down. And the point is that I'm saying to God, God, here's my heart. I need you to fill what I need in the bible the term is used the fruit of the spirit might sound kind of weird but it's it's the, it's what god's spirit Works in our life. It is the evidence of God's Spirit being present in us. When we put our trust in Him, He comes to live in us, and then the fruit of who He is, we are able to see at work in us. And so, the Bible lists them as like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's not just some fluffy little list. That is what I need as I'm trying to to follow Him. Love is treating people well, even the obnoxious ones, right? Which we don't tend to do without something supernatural happening in our heart. God, this is what I'm feeling and this is how I want to act, but I'm asking you to fill my heart with a love that looks like yours. Joy. The joy that the, that, the, that the Spirit brings is not just a joy because everything's going good. It's this joy that, that you can't really explain, but it's, it's supernaturally real. It is, it is His presence. It's peace in the middle of the storm. It's gentleness when I'd rather just steamroll. But if I'm going to follow you, Jesus, I need you to fill me today, because this is what my heart feels like. And so, day after day, I'm saying, God, will you, will you fill? God, will you fill us with your spirit again and again? It is an ant-powered discipline. I continue to ask the question, and I ask God to, to meet where I feel empty. You bring yourself over and over, filling. second word is gratitude. So in that time with him, think about gratitude. And the question is, what am I grateful for? Right? And I know the whole in the sentence, in the preposition. All the teachers don't freak out. But there's sometimes it's better to print it the way people say it than to freak them out and go, that's a weird way to say it. What are we grateful for? All right? What are we grateful for? I encourage you to write down three things when you do that write down three things when you're when you're praying when you're with God three things and make them specific don't make them broad make them specific i mean it, it really can be some mornings the rich dark cup of coffee that you got in your hand and you're just going god you did good when you made coffee did good Sometimes it's something specific, like the friends that you had dinner with the night before, or or somebody that you saw yesterday that you haven't seen them in a long time, and you're just grateful for that connection that happened again. Maybe it's something that you saw in your child yesterday. Specific things. Why? Because there is so much of God's goodness around us all the time, and we so take it for granted. Now listen, when you're doing this, three things that I write down today that I'm grateful for is not going to totally change my ungrateful attitude. It's not. But when you bring the ant power, and day after day, you are thinking about three things around you every day that you are grateful for. It begins to stir something in your heart. And not only does it do your heart good, because it's reminding you of what to be grateful for. But when the gratitude moves in, it actually ends up pushing stuff like complaint out. Complaint is obsession with what's going wrong. Anxiety is about what might go wrong. And envy is about what's going right in everybody else's life that I wish was going on in mine. And when you are grateful, it begins to push those things out. It keeps those things away. And some, some of us need to spend some time on gratitude. We just do We need to spend some time on gratitude because some of us say that we're followers of Jesus, but if we follow you around and listen to you talk, Jesus does not look very good. And the reason is simply because we choose to ignore all the goodness, and we just highlight the things that aren't lined up the way we want them to be. All right? One more word. It's the word identity. It's the word identity. Identity is about the question, who does God say I am? Who does God say I am? And this is not for you to remind God. This is for you to remind you. And the Bible is filled with examples. I, I think about moments like when Paul writes the book of Ephesians to the believers in Ephesus. The way he starts is to remind them of who they are adopted by the Father in love. He tells them who they are before he he calls them to do anything, before he, he, he reminds them who they are. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Your most defining moment is not who dumped you. Your most defining moment is about the one who took you in. He picked you out, he picked you up, and he brought you home, and he made you his kid. That is what defines who you are. Some of us have been dumped along the way, various ways, and, man, we let that define the rest of our life. No, you need some time alone with the heavenly Father who has identified you as his son and his daughter. Not so you remind him, it's so you remind you. You are his treasured kid, and you are defined by who chose you. Now, that's key for the overcommitted. That's key for the overcommitted. The whole bunch of us who are trying to measure up, so we just keep doing more stuff because we, we don't want people to reject us and we don't want people to think that we're weak. Sometimes it's about the approval... This is, this, this is, right, what, what makes me feel valued, and no, no. I, I need to be reminded who loves me, and that's important whether you're 14 or 74. To be reminded of who loves you, you are less likely to let the approval of others dictate your life. But it's also a word for the under-challenged. It's a word for the underchallenged who struggles to move forward unless they can pin the whole thing down and make sure that everything's going to be successful and i got to know that it's all going to work out right and the plans got all... No, this, this is for the underchallenged challenged that, that maybe God could work through me and he could make a difference in other lives. I know who I am. I know who loves me. And so whether this works out the way I think it should or not, I'm going with him. I'm going with him. This time alone with God keeps the balance between full and frantic, that you really can lay your head on the pillow at night tired, but not the exhausting fatigue of a weary soul. Because you know where to say yes and you know where to say no. You know what you should be doing and what you should not be doing. When things got crazy, this is where Jesus goes. So speaking of things being crazy, we need to get back to the house where Jesus is not. And there's a big line outside and the panic has set in. Where is Jesus? Let's pick it up with verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Now, there's an exclamation point at the end of that statement because I think we all need to consider what tone Peter used when he said that. I don't think it was, a, 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 I'm convinced there was a little bit of urgency, there was a little bit of emotion, there was a little bit of, Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, everybody's looking for you. You know, you've used that tone with him before. Jesus, how come, where, where are you? Jesus, how, how come you're not where you're supposed to be? How, how come we're not doing what you're supposed to do? And so Jesus Jesus replies, okay, Peter, let's, let's go back in there. I, I just needed a little time away. Uh-uh. You ready for this? Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. What? Jesus, we just got here. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can, what? Preach there also. That is why I have come. This is why I'm here. Jesus said, we're not going back. I know there's a line, but we're not going back. We're going to go to some other villages because there's a message I need to bring. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. This really is one of those reminders for all of us who have convinced ourselves that following Jesus is really about Jesus following me. I mean, it is. This is one of those places in the Scripture where we go, Jesus, Jesus, this is the plan, and it obviously is the plan, because here's where we are. Here's where we are, and here's this big old line of people. So obviously, this is, this is where you need to be. This, this is where we, we need to be. I, I have my plans, and Jesus, I need you to make those plans work. And the, the answer is no, he owns the plans. And sometimes that means uh, a change that is different than what we would have expected. I am personally wrestling just recently, last couple of weeks, kind of wrestling with that phrase that we all, I hear it from time to time, and, and I think we've all even used it. There are times where we sense God telling us to do something. And so we use the phrasing of, we, we have kind of put our lives on hold in order to do what Jesus tells us to do. You know what I'm talking about? We, we have put things on hold in order for Jesus for, to do what Jesus tells us to do. And I'm saying, uh-uh, uh-uh. To put things on hold sounds like it's my life, and for a little bit I'm going I'm to put it on hold and I'm going to follow what he wants to, but that means I'm going to get back to where I was. No, I, following Jesus is not about putting things on hold. Following Jesus is about hanging up the phone when it comes to my dreams and my plans and my ambitions. It's about saying, Jesus, you now own the line. Whatever you say, that's where we go. Whatever the plans, that's what they need to be. We have we have sort well no we have really diluted the whole picture of what it means to follow him. Some of us say that we get that but as soon as he shakes things up we start worrying and we complain and sometimes we just don't follow. We just don't follow. Remember Jesus was the teacher and the healer. And what Jesus knows is starting to happen in Capernaum is that the teaching aspect is sorting to take on the smaller view and the healer aspect. That's what everybody is after, right? And so Jesus is teaching, repent for the kingdom of God. and It's like, blah, 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 Jesus, will you just fix my hand? Blah, blah, blah. Will you just give me my sight back? Sometimes it was blah, blah, blah. What's for lunch? Because he had a way of taking a few fish and some bread and multiplying, right? And Jesus says, no. After some quiet time with the Father, he's reminded of what he's supposed to be doing, what he's supposed to say yes to. And he realigns. So I I want you to think about, I want you to think about two lists this week. Just start to think about two lists. I I realize this is going to take a little while for you to work through, but I, I, I beg you to Think about the things that I do and think about the things I don't do. Now, for some of you, you need to add a few things maybe to the things that you do, which this will be the toughest one for you if you've checked out. If you've said somewhere along the way, no more for me, I'm kind of cruising on this deal, I just got Jesus along for for me, this will be hard for you, but what is it that he's telling you to do? Maybe it's a, It's actually a a life-giving connection to your spouse. That's where you need to pay attention right now. Not just existing, not just being under the same roof, but a life-giving connection to my spouse. That's what he's telling me to do right now. Maybe it's about us being in a small group with friends because we've learned in this series you cannot do this life alone. There has to be people in which you entrust. There has to be people that you can walk. And so that is so hard for you right now in your life because everything's so busy and you got to move to the top of the list, a small group of friends that I'm going to do a life team together with. And then what are the things that I don't do? Th- this will be a lot harder for those of you who are overachievers because it means it's the stuff you got to stop doing so much of. You got to stop doing certain things, right? This might not be the best season in your life to take on the home improvement project. I know you want it. I know you want to get it done, but this might not be the best time because he's told you to do these things, right? It, It might mean that for some seasons in your life, you don't have the perfect House, It's not always perfectly spotless. Everybody okay with that? Everybody okay? It might mean that your lawn is not the most pristine in the world. Don't get me wrong. If you enjoy those things, you go after it. But sometimes we, we I'm saying sometimes that doesn't need to be at the top of the list. It doesn't. Realize that sometimes these things are seasonal. Sometimes they're seasonal. Sometimes it means that your list changes from time to time. Um, yesterday, uh, we celebrated uh, gotcha day for my son Nick. It was eight years ago yesterday that Jen and I stood in a courtroom in Taiwan, and the courtroom ruled, he's your son. That was cool. Eight years ago. It's wild how fast that's moved. That's moved. You realize that in eight more years, it's like, he's, he's kind of like on his own in that. Isn't that wild? He, he'll be old enough to, like, graduate. That, that's crazy. So I'm saying for this first eight years, some things in, a, in this season of my life, I did differently. I did. Some things changed um, on my list of, of what I would, would, would do. Um, even, even in ministry when he was younger, I would not take as long of mission trips as I can now because I would, I chose not to be away that long of a period of time. And so when I would do mission trips like that, there was a certain number of days that I would go and come back and I chose for it not to be longer. There are certain hobbies in my life that I, enjoyed at that time, and I, kinda, I just really set them aside and to some point didn't do them at all some years. Now here's the cool part. Now he's saying, hey, Dad, can we do that? They're coming back. They're coming back. We're going to do some of those hobbies that I enjoyed before, but he couldn't really do them, and it didn't make any sense for me to spend all my time doing that. Instead, we found something that he could be a part of too, but now he actually wants to do some of the stuff. I'm saying sometimes it's seasonal. If you feel like you got to lay some stuff down every once in a while, it might not be forever. It might not be forever. It's not quite as painful as sometimes it feels like, and for the whole picture, it is so, so worth it. So I'm going to, I need to quit. So I'm going to give you two verses and quit. And we're going to, we're going to sing a little bit to kind of wrap this up and go, God, what, what are you speaking into our hearts today? And what, what do I do with it? Two uh, verses. One is Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. This is at the moment of Jesus' baptism, right at the beginning. You are my son, whom I love, With you, I am well pleased. You are my son who I love. With you, I am well pleased. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. As far as we know, Jesus has not preached one sermon yet. And as far as we know, it's not recorded. He has not done one miracle yet. In other words, in terms of his earthly ministry, there is no list of accomplishments, of Jesus did this here, and he went to this town and did this, and he did this. no less, because this is right at the beginning. This is at his baptism. Public ministry is about to launch, and the heavenly Father looks in and says, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Hmm. Then we transition to the end of his public ministry. John chapter 17. This is... The night Jesus is arrested, and the next day, he will be hanging on a cross. Jesus said, I have brought you, Father, glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Woo! Jesus, this was, uh, God, this was all about your greatness, Father. This was all about people knowing how great you are because I finished the work that you gave me to do. Question, could all the blind people see? Nope, still blind people. Could all the lame people walk? Nope, still some folks that couldn't walk. Can we just say that at this point, we're not even sure that the disciples really look discipled? I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. If only we could live life in that framework, that before we go after anything, Before we start any new ministry, any new task, any new anything, we hear the words of a father who says, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. This ain't about your list of accomplishments, this isn't about all that you brought to the table, this is about me as your heavenly father who loves you with a perfect love. So before you put all your credentials on the table, let me just clarify, I love you. So I don't have to go after this thing trying to prove that I'm worth something. I don't have to go after this thing trying to prove that I'm worthy. I go after this thing knowing I'm crazy loved, so let's just go for it. And what if we could end it all saying, God, my life really was about your greatness. People know that you are great because I finished the work that you gave me to do. You ready? Folks, you will never, never have enough time to probably do all that you want to do but you will always have enough time to do what your heavenly father tells you you are here to do you build your list and want to do everything better you'll never get it done but you will have enough time to do what he tells you to do that should bring about a place in your life where you can give a confident yes or a freeing no. To the overcommitted, it enables us to live with joy and with peace. And to the underchallenged, it moves our heart again to see our lives impact. I love you guys. I'm praying for you this week. Work, I'm serious. Think about the list. Think about what he's called you to do, what he hadn't called you to do. Trust him in that, and let's follow him together. I'll pray. We're going to sing. There'll be some folks here on the side. If you need some prayer today, that's, that's what we're here for. Let's lean in. Let's, let's pray. God. Some of us here, we, 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 we find ourselves in that place of doing a lot and yet still feeling like maybe we're not doing enough. And I know every once in a while, God, it's because you change what we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes it's because you tell us there are some things that should be set aside, other things we're supposed to pick up. And then there are other moments, God, that that's just our false guilt that an enemy loves to prey on. It leaves us weary. Eventually, it leaves us bitter. So, God, today I pray more than anything that you could help us hear your voice. I pray that you would make us a people who will fight for that time alone with you. God, all the energy that we spend on on our work, all that we spend uh, on our homes, God, all all the energy we spend of things that need to get done, I'm asking that in our heart you, you would help to move this time alone with you to the very forefront. Just like Jesus modeled for us, God, would you give us, a perseverance, give us a fight to know that just being with you changes all the rest. God, I pray for those who find themselves under challenge today. Most likely, that's because of pain. God, a lot of times it's, it's fear, it's, it's failure, it's criticism. I pray today that your voice, your presence would drown it all out, and that in our lives, we would begin to live like the king is in the room. God, give us courage to begin to live that the kingdom of God is alive in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.